This message was recorded live at Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church in Plantation, Florida. Welcome to PlantationSDA.tv. Here you will find a diverse variety of Bible-based topics and conversations. God's master plan to inspire your mind, bring peace to your heart, and uplift your soul. May you be blessed and encouraged as you listen to God's Word. I just thought I'd get a piece of it. I just thought I'd get a piece of it. That's all right. <laughs> Happy Sabbath, everybody. Good afternoon, neighbor. All uh, those in house and those joining us online, we thank God for the privilege of worship. We affirm and declare that all the other gods of the nations are idols but that our God created the heavens and the earth. And so as we come into this place, we come appreciating that we are in the presence of the potentate of the universe, the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. My hope is that we continue to worship experience the blessings that God has in store. I want to remind you that this evening at 6, we, as believers, will be given the opportunity to renew our faith. The communion service is not for perfect people, but for those who, who sense their unworthiness, even as they cling to the worthiness of Jesus. So I want to invite you to come on out and renew your faith, renew your commitment as we dine at the Lord's table. So here we go again, making our way back to Calvary. Here we go again, reviving, reviewing and reliving the drama that unfolded there. And though, neighbor, it happened over 2,000 years ago, some of us are still intrigued by it. Still intrigued by the shifting stages and sceneries. It's various archetypes, most of them evil, but some of them good. As all together they project on the screen of history the story of our redemption. We're fully aware, we're fully cognizant of the fact that the events of Calvary were not just for the history books, but that they are for the present and the future because they serve as ever-living elements of the assurance of our salvation. Today, we'll be looking at Golgotha's Hill through the eyes of an unlikely character, hoping to find both inspiration and affirmation for our faith in Jesus. Additionally, it is my hope that someone today, upon hearing this soldier's testimony, will be drawn to Jesus. As we look at Calvary through his eyes, we'll do so beneath the caption, a soldier's confession. 
Let me turn our attention to our focus text, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, verse 54. The new King James Version's rendition says, So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was a son of God. I read again for emphasis, So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. This is the Word of God, and I believe it. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for the movement of your Spirit in the service this far. And as we continue in the worship, the worship to you with your word, we pray that you will remove every distraction. You will command and arrest every attention. That you will use this feeble, mortal clump of clay to share words of truth, words of hope we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, it is very instructive to note, neighbor, that this character in the drama and his statement have been recorded by the synoptics. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, albeit with a slight variation on Luke's part. Mark, in his record in Mark 15, verse 39, says, So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he had cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the son of God, Luke. In his account, in Luke chapter 23 and verse 47 says, So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. Now, now when you put it all together with its variations, a composite of this man's involvement and declaration emerges. There were many folks there that day, most of them shouting, mouthing, and hurling insults and disparaging words at our Lord. But this man, note the synoptics, but this man, according to Matthew, along with his compatriots, said, truly, this was the Son of God. Notice that all three identified him as a centurion. The King James Version's record of, of Scripture gives us some 21 times where a centurion is mentioned in Scripture. 
And there is an instance, a narrative there in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, where Jesus had healed the servant of a centurion by just saying the word. And I believe that this narrative provides some insight into the roles and responsibilities of a centurion. And so, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, beginning at verse 7. After the man, the centurion, had come to Jesus and made the request, Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. And verse 9 gives us now a bit of insight into the roles and responsibilities of a centurion. He says, For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And as the kids used to say back in the day, James, game recognize game. He said, I, I know you're a person of authority. I can relate to that because I too am a person of authority. I've got soldiers under me. I have subordinates and I tell them go and they go. I tell them come and they come. I tell them do this and they do it without asking questions. So I know that you as a man of authority don't need to come under my roof. I'm unworthy for you to come under my roof, but you just need to say the word. Jesus responded in verse 10 by saying, and when he heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, surely I said to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. In verse 11, and I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. This non-Israelite, this pagan, this Roman centurion knew that all Jesus had to do was say the word. The same Jesus who eons before stepped out of nothing and said the word and created something. The same Jesus who commanded and it stood fast. The same Jesus who spoke and it was done. He said, you just need to say the word. I'm here to tell you that that same Jesus is still alive today. And he can speak into your circumstances, into your situations, whatever they are. Because he has never lost a battle. This was a centurion Pastor Michael made this declaration. According to Josephus, Centurion was an officer in the army of ancient Rome. Centurions got their name because they commanded a hundred men. He tells me that several paths could lead to the position of centurion. One could be selected by the Senate or by the emperor himself. Others were elected by their comrades. 
But the vast majority of them were enlisted men promoted through the ranks after 15 to 20 years of service. Centurions, they were responsible for training, giving duties, and maintaining discipline in the ranks as the company commanders. When the army was encamped, centurions it, it was who oversaw the constructions of fortifications which were critical while they were in enemy territory. And when the enemy was on the move, it was the centurions who escorted the prisoners and procured food and, and supplies. You see, the Roman army was an efficient killing machine with centurions leading the way. In battle, centurions stood on the front line leading their men. They were expected to be courageous and rally the, the troops during the tough fights. The expansion and maintenance of the Roman Empire was due in part to these fighting men. Neighbor, a centurion, therefore, not according to Josephus, but according to Rose, was not some wishy-washy, mamby-pamby, in touch with his feminine side type of fella. No, a centurion was a man's man, hardened by training and war. He was not susceptible to the impressions of either fear or piety or pity rather. But the Bible says in our focus text, so when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, this man of war, this courageous soldier, the Bible says that when he saw the things that had happened, he along with his compatriots, they feared greatly, saying truly, this was the Son of God. Permit me, but in my sanctified imagination this week, as I ruminated and played with this text, a bit, I could see him, this centurion. Permit me, but he was on duty that weekend. According to tradition, this centurion's name was Petronius. Some call him Longinus, but I'll call him Petronius for our use today. I believe that when Petronius showed up for work that day, he had no idea that this weekend was going to be very consequential. No doubt by this time in his career, he had seen and overseen many crucifixions. As far as he was concerned, this was just another day on the job, just another day of the office, at least so he thought. Just another day for him to hoist and hang high another seditionist, another insurrectionist, another self-claim would-be Messiah, another deliverer. Of the Jewish nation. He had seen it before. This was not his first rodeo. He was no neophyte. This was not his first time on the job. What do we have here, boys? Well, boss, we got three, and the one in the middle, he's the king of the Jews. Really now? All right, you know what to do. Let's string him up. But as he went through what seemed routine to him, he couldn't help noticing that there was something different about the fellow in the middle. He had seen many criminals, many malefactors. He had dealt with such characters. It was part of his job. But there was something different about the fellow in the middle. 
At the time when the process began, he couldn't quite put his finger on it, but he knew that there was something different about this fellow. Patronus was used to seeing felons kicking and screaming and hurling insults at them and at the people and even their gods as they were being led to their execution, but not this man. There was a certain noble, dignifying bearing about him. It was as if he didn't belong. He didn't quite fit into the scenery. He seemed out of place as far as Petronius was concerned. He first observed it as the convicts were being led away from Pilate's judgment hall and it bothered him. There was a gnawing in his gut. It just didn't feel right to him. And then there was the darkness. Darkness darker than a thousand midnights that descended on Golgotha's hill at high noon. And an earthquake that shook the very foundations of the earth as if nature was crying out to its creator as he hung dying on a blood-soaked timber. As a man who no doubt believed in omens due to his culture. Patronus saw these signs, the signs from the gods. This was no ordinary crucifixion. And so he declared, not in whispered tones, but with a voice that thundered above the hurling insults of the crowd that day, he declared, truly, this was the Son of God. His booming baritone voice wafted along the eater waves and found resonance with his men who all came to the same conclusion. This truly was the Son of God. Clearly, the cataclysmic events coupled with the extraordinary restraint, humility, and purity and love shown by our Lord in his death made this man of war along with his compatriots, realize that this truly was the Son of God. You know, neighbor, Luke in his gospel, chapter 19, verse 37 to verse 40, records that when Jesus had entered Jerusalem that week, the folks were beside themselves praising Jesus and calling him the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, they were ready to make him king on Sunday. Much to the consternation of some of the leaders who said to Jesus, hey, you better tell them to shut up. This is not good for us and the nation. If the Romans hear this, it's not good for us. But Jesus responded according to Luke and said, I tell you that if they hold their peace, the stones would cry out, One of the very interesting things I find in this narrative is that some of the very folks who had shouted Hosanna on Sunday were now hurling insults and shouting crucify him on Friday. That some of the very folks who were ready to make him king on Sunday we're now willing to make him a criminal on Friday. And I have lived long enough to appreciate Pastor Mike, not to, as, as a leader, not to measure my leadership performance based on the approbation of folks because folks are fickle. They change their minds. You can do everything right, 
but just mess up once and they write you off. Ready to crown him king on Sunday, but now we're calling him a criminal on Friday. But not this man, not this centurion. And may I submit that this centurion was a stone. Follow me carefully. You see, Jesus said on Sunday, when the religious, some of the religious folks said, hey, hush, tell them to, to be quiet. Jesus says, if I did that, then the stones would cry out. But on, on, on Friday, when everybody was calling, crucify him, here was a stone called Petronas. Here was a stone, a heathen, a pagan, a Roman centurion who cried out, this was the son of God. He was not a part of the chosen nation, yet he declared that day that truly this was the Son of God. In closing, Ellen G. White, in commenting on this in her seminal work on the life and ministry of Jesus, the of Ages, page 7. 770, she says this, she says, in the bruised, broken body hanging upon the cross, the centurion recognized the form of the Son of God. He could not refrain from confessing his faith. Thus again, evidence was given that our Redeemer was to see of the travail of his soul and may I add and be satisfied. Oh, neighbor, listen to me today. It is this, that the cross of Jesus Christ is still able to draw people to God. That the cross of Jesus Christ can resonate with one who was raised up, who was trained to be a brute, the cross could arrest his attention and elicit from him this declaration. Truly, this was the Son of God. Even in 2022, let me affirm and declare that there is still power in the cross of Jesus. That in spite of all the world's attraction, that rugged cross that was erected on a hill far away still has the power to save and to pull people to Him. Years ago, I had the opportunity to go on mission in the former Soviet Union spent one week preaching in Russia another week preaching in the Ukraine and I had an experience there in the Ukraine that has stayed with me even after these years it's preaching in a city called Pavlograd 
to people who did not look like me, did not even talk like me, I needed an interpreter. I was sharing the word of God. And I had an interpreter and we would meet, have a game plan of sorts, James, each, each day. And I would preach, he would interpret. And I'll tell you a little joke about that in a minute. His name is Eugene. And one day we were going at it, preparing the, the sermon together and him helping me to appreciate that some anecdotes do not uh, in, uh, translate in the culture and, and fixing it for me. And then my host pastor, Pastor Mikitok, he said to me, Pastor Rosa, there's a guy here who wants to see you. And, and I saw this huge, burly-looking fella. His name was Anatoly. He said he wanted to take me to a museum, a World War II museum, and, and I was excited about that, and we went, and he was such an awesome host and guiding me through and helping me to appreciate the history of World War II. But as we went along, the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder, and I said to him, you know, Anatoly, I thank God for the history lesson you've given me today, but God is more interested in your future than your history. I left it at that. A few days after, Eugene and I were in the study putting the sermon together when Pastor Mikitu came again and said, Pastor, Pastor Rosa, I need to say something to you. He said, did you come prepared to do a baptism? I said, no, I just came to preach. He said, now, 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 now you got to do a baptism. I said, no, I came here to preach. He said, no, no, you don't understand. He said, Anatoly has decided to be baptized. I said, praise God. He said, no, no, you don't understand, Pastor you see, back in the, in the Soviet years, he was a big deal in the Communist Party. And he, deciding to be baptized, that's a big deal. He, he said, the only request that he's asking is that you do the baptism. I said, Pastor, suit me up. And, and I'm going to show you the picture one of these days. But here I was in the pool with this tall, burly fella. A man who was raised an atheist, baptizing him in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, because the cross still has power to save. Save. When I was leaving, Eugene said to me, you know, I, when I was working with Eugene, Eugene, you know, Eugene would be in the corner and and as I was preaching, he'll be translating behind some desk, just sitting there, you know, you know, all sedate and, and all, and you know, and, and I'm there just working up a sweat and, and working the crowd. And he sits there and he stood there just, and I saw, I said to him in one of the studies, I said, listen, Eugene, I can't be, be preaching like that. And you just stand there just mouthing the interpretation. I said to him, you've got to mimic me. When I say, let's all go to heaven, you got to say it too. And you got to do the movements too. When I was leaving, he said, Pastor Rose, you've turned me into a black preacher. I thank God that the cross of Jesus, it is transferable from culture to culture, from language to language, from ethnicity to ethnicity, there is still power in the cross. Do you believe that today? The praise team is going to sing. We believe. 
and then I'll return and do the appeal. We'll close and we'll go home. Why don't we all stand right now as we sing the closing song and proclaim that we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you believe today? Come on, church. Do you believe today? We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in you, Jesus. In this time of desperation, all we know is doubt and fear. There is only one. There is only one foundation. We believe. We believe. In this broken generation, say. This broken generation, when all is dark, all is dark, you help us see. There is only one, there is only one salvation. Oh, we believe, we believe. Let's proclaim. We believe in God the Father. So let our faith be more than anthems. So let our faith be more than anthems. Greater than the songs we sing. Greater than the songs we sing. Oh, in our weakness. In our weakness and temptation.
thank you so much. Name and a praise name. We believe that today, don't we? Cross still has power to say. Jesus lived. Oh, yes, he did. Oh, yes, he did. He died, was buried, and rose again. Oh, yes, he did. Oh, yes, he did. And he's coming back again. Oh, yes, he will. Oh, yes, he will. Perhaps you're in the house today and have not yet committed your life to him. We'd like to pray with you. Or perhaps online you can just click that button that says next one. I'd like for me to remember your prayer. Just raise your hand where you are. I want to accept that today. Father God, we thank you so much for the assurance of salvation that we have because of the cross. Because of the cross, we acknowledge our unworthiness even as we embrace the unworthiness, the worthiness rather, of Jesus. Because of the cross, we know that we're not good, but that Jesus is good. Because of the cross, we can leave here knowing that we have been saved. Price has been paid. I pray for that man, that woman, that boy, that girl in house, online, who will watch it in the near future. Through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, you'll speak to each heart the truth of your words. We leave here knowing that our God is not dead, He's alive. We leave here knowing this world is not a final destination. We leave here knowing our God will come and will not keep silent. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. God bless you as you go. This podcast was brought to you by Plantation's Seven-Day Adventist Church, a Christ-centered congregation dedicated to spreading the good news of God's love through sermons, deeper dive conversations, and much more. If you would like to listen to more life lessons and inspirational content, please visit us at plantationsda.tv.